Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title today is called Breaking Through the Wall. Breaking Through the Wall, Cosmic Conflict, Part 2. Mark 9, 14 to 29, we're going to finish it up today. Last week we talked about hitting the wall. And if you weren't here, get the CD or get the podcast because they really hand in glove. They fit together very closely here. But about hitting the wall, and some, several of you came up and throughout the week have shared with me how you have hit the wall. And it's been some amazing stories. We could have just have a testimony, sir, of how, how the, the trials that we've gone through and, and hit the wall. And a lot of you have said, ouch. <laughs> We all hit walls in our, in our personal lives, in our ministries, we hit walls. And I ask you to memorize and meditate on a prayer from Mark chapter 9, 24, when the Father said, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And I encouraged you to make that your life's prayer and to really focus on it this week to prepare us for the conclusion today on how to break through the walls. Because once we have that prayer and that concept down that attitude of dependence and and of i do believe help me overcome my unbelief that's when we can start to break through some spiritual walls very very important and remember this very key spiritual truth we talked about last week too the wall that god breaks through may not be our outward circumstances the wall that gets broken through may be in our hearts very very important to remember this we, this isn't just a formula, oh, I'm going to get rid of all my problems. No, no. Once we have that attitude, God, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief, and we deal with what we're going to deal with today, the wall that God breaks through may not be the outward circumstance. That may not change, but the wall may be what breaks in our heart. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your mercy and grace. We need it every day, every minute, every second more mercy and more grace. And Lord, whatever wall we've hit, whatever we're facing today, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. If the wall is that we need to come to Christ, we need to break through the unbelief and and put our faith in Jesus, becoming a Christian, I pray that that would happen this morning. If there's something that's holding us back spiritually, we pray that you would help us to break through that this morning. We pray for your mercy and grace to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read the passage again. We read it last week, but let's read it again. Mark 9, starting with verse 14. When they came, this is right after the transfiguration. They're coming down the mountain. When they came, uh, verse 14, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. 
It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Okay, so Jesus and his key three, remember they're up on the mountain of transfiguration, the three key guys. Jesus and his key three come down from the mountain, from the transfiguration, and they come down to this. They just had a glimpse of heaven and now they get an eyeful of hell, right? Think about that. They just come from this mountaintop experience and they come right into the valley. And I've warned you many, many times to expect this. You come back from a retreat, ladies' retreat, uh, St. Baldrick's event, all everything going great, and you come home to a grill fire. You know, I, I, that's a Kim, between Kim and I, and I guess she's told most of the congregation by this time. But anyway, you come back from a mission trip to something hits you right in the face. You come back from a mission, three, a couple years in the mission field, you come back to challenge. You come back from a spiritual high really a great victory and you get hit really really hard i always warn the teenagers when they go off they're going to the dominican republic again i always warn them be ready you're going to go home you're going to get hit hard i remember coming back from the philippines it's been many years now six years or something and bob and i were coming back and we were we were we were flying high we probably didn't even need the plane we could have just floated home we were just at an awesome awesome time in the Philippines with, with our ministry there. It was great. And I'll never forget it. I get to the airport in Detroit and I get the call. Kim, <laughs> I didn't want to call you while you're in the Philippines, but while you're gone, all heck broke loose, you know? And I was like, oh, you know, it's like, but you got to expect it. Don't be shocked by it, okay? But then let's, let's pick it up here. Let's read verses 14 through 19 again. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus and the key three come down to really two negatives here. They come down to the nine apostles, the other nine, three were with him, the other nine that couldn't cast the demon out of this boy. And also the teachers of the law were rubbing it in. They were rubbing it in. You could just imagine what these Pharisees were thinking and saying. This proves Jesus is a fake. This proves it. They can't, Jesus can't deal with this demon. And, and stop using the name of Jesus, they're telling the apostles, they're arguing. Stop using the name of Jesus. Do it our way, our way. Now, if they were such experts, why didn't they help the kid, right? They didn't cast the demon out either. They couldn't, as we're going to see in a minute here. But in, in biblical times, the t Jewish teachers of the law would do exorcisms. 
And they would use the Old Testament scriptures, read the Old Testament scriptures, and quote them and command the demons to leave. And it was effective. Why? Because the Old Testament is God's word. It has authority. Same as the New Testament. It's one and the same. They both are God's word. They have authority. They could do it. Some had even started using the name of Jesus to cast out demons. They found out how effective the name of Jesus was, and some of the Jewish rabbis, teachers, uh, people doing the exorcisms, started to use the name of Jesus. And sometimes it worked. In fact, let's look a little further in chapter 9. We're going to be there in a few weeks. Uh, chapter 9, verse 38. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. So we see someone casting out demons in Jesus' name. Very likely a believer in Christ. Someone had already become a Christian, but wasn't one of them. Wasn't in the special apostle club yet, right? Uh, we'll get to that when we hit that passage, their whole attitude there. But it, so sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. And Acts 19, scary passage, Acts 19 verse 13 says this. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. And I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Sometimes it didn't work. These guys obviously weren't believers in Jesus. They were trying to use Jesus. And you don't use God. Only those who have the Holy Spirit in them can use the name of Christ to do spiritual warfare. And the, but Now back to the disciples. They did. But they couldn't drive it out. And they had to be flabbergasted. I don't understand. This always worked before. They had already been given authority. They had already been given authority. Remember back in Mark chapter 3, when we looked at what Jesus sent the 12 out, he gave them authority. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, he appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. They had the authority. Not only did they have the authority, then we saw that they had already cast out many demons. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, when we were in Mark chapter 6, remember what we looked at in Mark 6, 12, it says, The apostles, they went out and preached that people should repent, and they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. They drove out many demons. They had the authority. They had already done it. Yet here we find in Mark chapter 9, verse 18, we find they can't drive it out. The word in Greek is literally they were not strong enough. They weren't strong enough. You've heard of, of steroids. Well, they needed some demonoids here. They needed to get stronger, right, to be able to deal with these demons. The apostles had hit a wall. They had hit a wall, a spiritual wall, a ministry wall. I remember hitting this wall one time. 
I was in an area where there was a lot of demonic resistance. We saw all kinds of people under attack, had to pray over people just like this. And we saw a lot of people freed. Uh, and it was exciting and, and powerful. But I remember one time hitting a wall. There was this person with a demon, and, and it would not leave, would not budge, would not do anything, couldn't do a thing, just completely stuck. And I remember the, the shock and the frustration and saying, what's going on here? It always worked before. I'll come back to that story in a little bit later. You might be hitting a wall right now. It might not be a demon. It might be, but it might not be a demon. But, but some impossible spiritual obstacle. It could be a temptation. It could be depression. It could be an addiction. It could be an anxiety attack. It could be a prodigal child. It could be a healing, some sickness. It could be your marriage or your spouse. It could be your job. It could be your school, what's going on at school. It could be a stronghold in your life. If you're facing that impossible wall, stay with me. We're going to come back. We're going to hit this in a minute. But first, let's see what Jesus responded, how he responded to what happened when he came down from the mountain. In Mark 9, 19, he says... Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Who? Jesus lets it rip. <laughs> he, everybody thinks this nice Jesus out picking up children and petting sheep. And he, he's a loving guy, but there's a, he's the other side of Jesus, too. We have to understand the whole Jesus here. And he lets it rip. Who's he talking to? The disciples because of their lack of faith? The teachers of the law for resisting him every step of the way? The crowd of miracle seekers that were really there just trying to see the show, they weren't really interested in following Jesus or becoming Christians? Or the doubting father? Who's he talking to? Maybe all of them, but we know he's talking to us. He's talking to us. It's for us. Many times we fail in our Christian life, don't we? Even though we've already been given spiritual authority. The moment you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into you. The moment you say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sins, paid for it, and I want to be forgiven. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to follow him. The moment you do that, you become a Christian. The Holy Spirit comes inside, and you are given authority. Now, if you don't have that, you're a sitting duck. If you never put your faith in Christ, you are a spiritual sitting duck. Duck dynasty, shooting ducks out there, Satan's out there, you know, hammering away. We're sitting ducks. But once we put our faith in Christ, we have spiritual authority. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. In fact, in Colossians 2, in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, listen to what it says. This is us. If you've put your faith in it, in Christ, it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. We are given that authority. We have that. But even though we have been given that authority, many times we still fall, don't we? Spiritually, we fall to the attacks. Or even though we've been given many victories, just like the apostles, they cast out all these demons, and yet look what happens. They run into something and, and they fall flat. They, they, can't, they, they, they can't do it. Even though we've been given many victories in the past, including our salvation, we still fall on our faces. Anybody out there? Don't raise your hand. We could both raise two hands, right? All right. We, could all, we all do this. Even though we've been given authority, even though we've seen God's victories in our life, we still fall on our face when we get hit with the same old trial or the same old temptation. The same crisis. 
instead of handling it well, we still fall on our faces. Some of my boys wrestle, big ones, little ones, all different ages. And sometimes they'll wrestle someone and they'll pin them really fast. And then the next time they wrestle them again, I'm, guess what I'm ready for? Oh, this is going to be easy. I'm relaxed sitting there watching. No problem. They're going to they're gonna pin this guy fast. This is a relaxing day. Because wrestling can be very stressful on, on parents, right? Especially moms. Right? But what are they doing to my kid? And moms get out of control. Dads are pretty relaxed, but moms are out of control. But anyway, but I'm relaxed. And they go out, they're wrestling this easy guy, and wham, my kid gets pinned. I'm like, what just happened? What is wrong? Why, what, were they being overconfident? What is going on? What are they, what, and, and I'll get all worked up over the little big, all the different sides. Why did they lose this guy? They should have never lost that guy. And the Holy Spirit will remind me, hey, guess what Coach Jesus is saying about you? You do, you do the same thing. The Holy Spirit will remind me, I do the same thing. To coach Jesus, that's how he feels when I fall back into my same old sins or cra- same crashes or the same trials. When, I, when we get knocked down, and, and just like I'm, Jesus, coach Jesus is sitting there saying, really? Really? The Holy Spirit reminds me of that. Let's jump up. We already looked at the Father last week. Uh, if you missed that, get the CD. But let's look at what Jesus does in verses 25 to 27 here. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him with violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. So we see a crowd is running to the scene here. Uh, think of a car accident, you know, or something happens and everybody's running. They want to see what's going on. This kid, demon possessed, you know, reality. There was no reality TV, but there was reality here. They're all running. They want to see what's going on here. And Jesus, so what does Jesus do? Well, he tells the disciples, get out your phones and make sure you get this on video because we're going to become an internet sensation. And we're going to Twitter this and we're going to, we're going to become famous. Is that what he does? That's what we would do, right? Most ministries would do that today. Watch TV. No, he didn't do that. He acts fast. Why? Because he doesn't want the crowd to see what's going to happen. He wants to finish this up quick before anybody can see what happens. What? What is he doing? This is learn something from this. In the American church, we need to learn something from this. Crowds are not usually an indicator of spiritual success. I'm going to say it again. Crowds are not usually an indicator of spiritual success. I didn't say never, because there's true revivals when people are truly changed and and large numbers can become followers of Christ and and take take it seriously, but not usually. Not usually. When, look what happened when a crowd gathers around Jesus. Go th- read through the Gospels. He does one of two things typically. Sometimes he'll stay and teach something really ground them. But often he thins the crowd out or he says something really hard to thin it out or he moves on. He says, it's time to move on. So he either moves on or he thins the crowd by saying something really hard, making it sound really, really, really hard. That's what he does. Because 
he knew that most people were just shallow followers. Shallow followers. They weren't interested in the cost of discipleship. They weren't interested in true discipleship. I'm going to tell you what true success in ministry is. Learn it from Jesus. Jesus left us a model. When he was crucified and then resurrected and then ascended, he left behind a very small church. Very small church. Didn't look like it was going to turn the world upside down anytime soon. But it did within a generation. Why? Because they were disciples. He left behind a group of disciples. True success is a small group of disciples who are really living it. That's what Jesus focused on for three years. He kept dodging the crowd. Twelve disciples. Focus. And that's who he left to carry it on. We have to learn from Jesus here, okay? Because we get caught up in this whole American false success, fluffy Christianity thing. So the disciples come to Jesus after this happens and ask him a vital question. And this is where we're getting to it here. In verses 28 and 29, they ask him something. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. And then you see a little footnote in your Bibles. Some manuscripts include prayer and fasting. This kind can come out only by prayer and most likely fasting. There's some argument about manuscripts and what should be, what shouldn't be there. But, but most likely, but I'll come back to that in a minute. Jesus tells them, they say, why couldn't we drive out? Why did we hit a wall? Many of us are asking the same question. Why are we hitting walls in our life, in our personal life, in our ministries? Why do we hit these walls? And Jesus says this kind can come out only by prayer. For us, that is, not Jesus. Jesus was... He didn't have to use, he just has to say the word. He doesn't have to use a name because he is the name. He is the authority. He doesn't have to use the word to, to wear the demon down like we would have to do. He is the word of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He is the word. He has the authority. He has the power. But for us, this kind, come out, this kind can, can come out only by prayer. This kind, there are different kinds of demons. If you've ever been involved in spiritual warfare, you know what I'm talking about. There are different kinds of demons, and some are more powerful. Just as there are different kinds of struggles and crises and temptations, some are more powerful, right, that we face. Some trials, temptations are more intense to us. The key, though, here is he says only by prayer, and I'll throw in fasting there because I think it's probably right. Whether it's a late edition or, or, or in the original, it's the same thing. Prayer and fasting are the same thing. Fasting is a form of prayer. Fasting is when you voluntarily give up food for a specific time and you get hungry and you get weak and it's a reminder that I need God and I'm weak without God. I'm weak without his power. That's why you fast. That's why we fast. It reminds us of our weakness. It's good to be weak. It goes against everything in us. Well, we want to be strong. No, it's good to be weak because when we're weak, we depend on God's power instead of our own power and that's when God can work. Weakness is not something to be ashamed of. But fasting is a form of prayer. It reminds us of our weakness. And prayer is dependence. When, why do we pray? We're saying, God, I need you. I'm depending on you. Prayer is a form of dependence. It's, it's faith in action, which brings us to a parallel passage here. Matthew 17. Matthew 17, parallel passage, brings out a little bit more here. In Matthew 17, 19 to 21. Let's read that. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Same story, just a different gospel. He replied, verse 20, because you have so little 
faith. Another piece of the puzzle here. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And then down the footnote, you see your little footnote in the Bible. There's another manuscript thing here. It says, some manuscripts, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting, which is probably why it's really in there. Prayer and fasting. But he brings in not only the prayer and fasting in Matthew here, but he also brings in faith. Faith is the key ingredient. And I'm going to give you a math equation. Faith plus fasting and prayer equals power and victory. Maybe Dave, Dave, our math teacher, Dave, could come up with some kind of formula for us all on a card so we can remember this. But faith plus fasting and prayer equals power and victory. Look at what he says about the mustard seed and moving the mountain. This mountain passage is often confused by people and abused by people in many ways. Oh, you just have to have enough faith. You can do whatever you want. Listen, the context is spiritual warfare. We're not supposed to be out there throwing mountains around. It's talking about something in our life that's like a mountain, a spiritual obstacle, spiritual attack that we need faith to deal with something impossible that's only possible with God. He's talking about spiritual warfare. And Jesus gives us uh, the authority to deal with it. But this, the authority that Jesus gives us is effective only if we have the faith to use it. And f- our faith grows and it is energized by prayer. I'm going to say this again. This is really, really, really important. We have to deal with spiritual attacks. We have to deal with spiritual warfare. We have to deal with all kinds of trials in our life. Faith is the key. But the authority he gives us is effective only if we have the faith to use that authority. And that faith will only grow and be energized by how much we pray. Not hours and minutes, but by how much we depend on God and talk to him and ask him to help us. That prayer is what energizes the faith. That's what grows our faith so that we can use it. They work hand in hand. And I, I said earlier, faith plus prayer and fasting equals power, but it's really multiply. Faith multiplied. Faith times prayer and fasting equals power. It's really a multiplication effect. And the converse is true too. The, the opposite is true too. Faithlessness divided by prayerlessness equals powerlessness. Both, are, both sides are true. Are you hitting a spiritual wall in your life today? Or in your ministry today? Are you hitting a spiritual wall? I, we can all shake our heads. We do every day, don't we? The days we wake up and we're not hitting a wall, that, sounds, that was a nice little vacation, right? But, but it's, it's something we face constantly. Maybe, though, God is trying to teach us a lesson. Just like he taught the apostles, he's trying to teach us a lesson here. That we need to pray and fast. We need to be dependent. It's a dependence lesson. When we hit walls, we say, oh, what's Satan trying to do? Listen, what is God trying to do? He's trying to teach us dependence. He's trying to teach us dependence. Remember what I said about how when I was dealing with all the spiritual warfare and I hit the wall with the demon and I was like, what is going on? I realized what had happened as I prayed about it and wrestled with it and figured out what God was trying to teach me. I had taken on an attitude of not depending. Because I had seen so much spiritual warfare and seen so many demons 
cast out and so many people free, I started to see myself as the Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, who are you going to call? Call me. I get on the card, zoom out, dealt with it, right? But God used that to show me, hey, hot shot, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit, and you better be dependent. And I started to realize that before I got in that car, before I said, yeah, I'll come over, let me pray about it. Then after I said, okay, I'll come, now I'm going to pray some more, and then I'm going to prepare myself spiritually. And, and I had to learn that dependence, very, very important. Maybe God's trying to teach us dependence in our life. Maybe, maybe we're hitting the wall because our faith is wavering. Maybe it's a faith lesson. It's not just a fasting and prayer lesson, but maybe it's a faith lesson that God is trying to teach us. He's trying to work in our heart. We say we believe, but maybe we've really given up on something. That temptation, that stronghold in our life. Maybe we've given up on someone. I know in my life... uh, one thing I really struggled with was some of my prodigals. You know, I have 13 children. And when you have 13 children, you're going to have a lot of different things to deal with. Uh, and I have several prodigals. And that was really, really, really hard. And I, over the years, over the years of praying, and it was many years, I started to get discouraged. And I stopped praying. I, I mean, I still prayed, hey, God, please, you know. Do something, but but I really stopped praying because you know what? Deep down, I was like, "What's the use?" Do you ever feel that way? You're praying with your mouth, but your heart is saying, "What's the use?" Because I'd stop believing. What good will it do? You ever feel that way? What good will it do? I invested so much in these dodos. And then they turn around and, you know, jump off a cliff on us. What good will it do? I'd already spent 18 years. What good will it do? But the Holy Spirit prompted me a while back, a couple months ago, six months ago maybe. I was actually reading Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And... The Holy Spirit touched my heart with that, and I started to claim that as a promise. And I know you can't claim that as a promise. It's a principle in the Proverbs, and I've heard all that. And it's true. It is a principle. But the Holy Spirit impressed it upon my heart as a promise. Will you believe this? Will you pray for this? And I was really moved to pray and I took that card, Proverbs 22, 6, and I stuck it on my sink, bathroom sink, where I would see it every day. And I came across a couple little pictures of my two little dodo prodigals there, and I stuck them there in front of the verse. They were from when they were third grade and second grade, and they were so cute. I'm like, oh, they were so cute. This is before they became aliens, you know? And teenagers, and... and uh, and, and I started to pray for them. And I started to claim that verse. Even though I know it's just a principle. <laughs> I claimed it as a promise. And crazy thing is, within a short time, they both came home. 
One came home spiritually, turned back to God, really on fire for God now. The other one's not there yet spiritually, but he came home. He's living at our house. <laughs> it was a crash landing, but he's there. And I'm still praying for the complete spiritual healing. Most of you know the story. This is stuff everybody already knows. Now, I'm not saying there's a formula. Oh, if you just pray and fast and everything's going to change. I'm not saying it because I prayed a long time. This, we have been praying and fasting for years. Five years, seven years, depending on the kid. And those who are out there know other, your own stories. It's not a formula. It's not instant. But this is what God was teaching me at this time. Because this was God's timing for us. There was a timing for waiting and praying and persevering and suffering through it. There was that time, and there's still a lot more in our future. But this time, it was God's timing because he was ready to move and to do something. What wall are we facing? Maybe it's in your personal life. Maybe it's in your ministry. Faith. Times fasting and prayer equals power, God's power. The power to change or the power to continue in the battle. Both are victories in God's sight, right? Whether God decides to intervene and change right then or he's going to keep us waiting until there's a lot more refining in our heart and life and our kids lives or whoever we're praying for until that time reaches that's part of his plan too but but whether it's the power to change or to continue in the battle faithfully it's still a victory in god's sight it's still his power and maybe today you're here and you're not a christian in the wall that you're facing is the impossible wall of reaching god now and sometime in eternity, ever getting to God. That's the impossible wall you're facing because between you and God is this, the, a wall of sin that can never be broken through. There's no human way to break through that wall. But Ephesians 2.14 says something very powerful. In Ephesians 2.14 it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Now get this. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The cross breaks through the wall. The cross is the one way through this wall. The only way to God is through his son Jesus Christ and the cross. And how do we get to God through the cross? Back up a couple verses. We just back up a couple verses to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're saved by God's grace. What is his grace? The gift he's given us of his son dying on the cross for us and rising again from the dead to prove he was the son of God. We're saved by putting our faith in him, not by works. We can't be good enough. There's nothing we can do. We can only put our faith in what Jesus has done for us. 
Let's pray. How is God talking to us? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to our heart? Where has God's word pierced our hearts today and, and transformed our minds in some way? He started healing us. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian yet, but the Holy Spirit is pulling you and talking to you and, and, and drawing you to Jesus Christ. You can have a relationship with God the Father right now through his son Jesus. That's the only way, though. The cross of Christ is the only way. You can do that now, right where you're sitting. Receive the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit and a brand new life in Jesus Christ. By putting your faith in Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I put my faith in you. I give my life to you. I believe you died on that cross to pay for my sin, my rebellion, my wickedness. You died for me. I repent of that old life. I ask you to forgive me. putting my faith in you. If you've just prayed that prayer, a wall just came down. A wall in your heart has been torn like a curtain. And you now have access to God as your father anytime. Anywhere, for any reason. You now have his spirit living in you, and your life will never be the same. We can run from the spirit, we can grieve the spirit, we can quench the spirit, but we can never escape God's spirit. Your life will never be the same. He's going to make you into someone that you were created to be, the person you were created to be, with the purpose that God has for your life. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you're here with a friend or family member, or if you want to fill out the card, stick it in the, the box in the back. You want to tell me on the way out. You want a text call. Let somebody know so we can be excited and, and help you in your new life in Jesus Christ. For those of us who have already put our faith in Jesus Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe it's not the wall of salvation, but the wall is a spiritual wall that we're facing, a, a stronghold or a sin or a trial or a crisis or a, 
a crisis of our faith in some, for some reason. Will we come to that wall in dependence? I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. God, I need you. I can't do this. It has to be your power. Will we come in fasting and prayer with the faith of a mustard seed? So that we can see God's power. How is the Spirit speaking to us? Father, I pray you would give us hope this morning and your spirit of an encouragement to face the spiritual walls that we're facing. I pray you would give us the faith of a mustard seed to fight the battles we need to fight. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the love that you've shown us by allowing him to die in our place so that we can have life here and life forever with you someday. Pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts this week and we would persevere in your spirit, becoming the sons and daughters that you've called us to be. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.